Welcome to Coon Hunt University Podcast. This is your host, Mason Bush. Class is now in session. Hey guys, hope everybody's having a good week. I'm down in Open Lock, Alabama. Been selling little Joy dog food this week. So if you live in southeast Alabama, around the Phoenix City, Open Lock, Auburn area, uh, be on the lookout for some joy in your area here soon. If you don't have joy and need it, get with me. Uh, send me a PM on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Got down here with Bob Dudley this evening. I'm staying at his farmhouse. Uh, me and Daryl Guest got to go coon hunting, treed some last night. Uh, Bob agreed to sit down and talk a little dogs and history with me, so... Y'all stay tuned for probably one of the best episodes I've got to release. Joy Dog Food is one of the oldest dog food companies on the market, starting back in 1945. Since then, much has changed in the pet food industry, but one thing that'll never change is our dedication to our customers and providing the best quality dog food while remaining consistent at the same time. Joy Dog Food is family owned and operated by Wade Kraskiewicz and his son, Skyler. The two have worked side by side for years, providing superior customer service, products, and resources to pet owners across the nation. Here at Joy Dog Food, we pride ourselves on providing personalized one-on-one customer service to each person that calls, emails, or messages us. For more information on our products, to find a dealer near you, or to become a dealer yourself, visit joydogfood.com or call 800-245-4125. Hey guys, next time you're in the market for some new hunting gear, head on over to coonhuntersupply.com and check out the Razor hunting gear line. Razor has partnered up with Yoder Nylon to bring some of the sharpest and best designed briar proof gear on the market. They have their own line of hunting gear like coats, bibs, chaps, vests, and more. Also, check out the newly released Razor Z1 light. It includes a double walk light, bright double red lights, tight and bright main beam, and a razor sharp green laser. Head on over to coonhuntersupply.com and get yours ordered today. Hey guys, next time you're in the market for some new hunting supplies, head on over to Conkey's Outdoor. Whether it's a light, boots, dog leash, garment, or any other kind of hunting accessories, they can take care of you. Conkey's is a family-owned business that strives on excellent customer service and guarantees fast delivery every time. The next time you're over in Hastings, Florida, stop by or give them a call at 904-692-1568. Thanks. It's Coon Hunt University podcast. Today we have Bob Dudley. We're in is it Opelika. We're in Salem, Alabama. Salem, Alabama. Okay. All right. Well, Bob, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I want to thank Mason and Joy Dog Food for thinking enough of me to uh, have this little talk today. But um, my name is Bob Dudley. I'm 63 years old. I'm kind of getting a little long in the tooth now. <laughs> uh, I live in Opelika, Alabama. I grew up here. And uh, my family 
is in the lumber business. My father started the business about 75 years ago, and uh, we've been fortunate that the lumber business has been good to us, and we've been able to enjoy a, a good life with the fruits of our labor through the lumber business. I've got uh, my father and uncle started the business, and uh, both of my parents are gone now, and my uncle's gone. So it's uh, my sisters and myself that own the business, and then my cousins on my uncle's side. So it's a family business, and uh, we we still all are hands-on. I've got several brother-in-laws that were in the business with us that worked for us, and they all have retired and basically left uh, me and a, and a couple of cousins and some of my sisters that are involved in the business to carry on and run what they have put together over the years. But uh, we run two pine sawmills, and uh, we just the fact that we've been in the lumber business, it's allowed us to buy property and we own uh, timberland where we, but uh, the long and short of it is anything that has to do with lumber and forestry, I've been involved in it uh, all, pretty much all my life. That's all I've ever done is, is deal with the lumber business and uh, I guess one of the reasons why I started coon hunting, my uncle, my father never, he never hunted anything, but I had an uncle that was in business with my father that loved to coon hunt and he loved to bird hunt. And as a kid, I, I liked it and I followed in his footsteps and basically he was the one that uh, started me in the, in the hunting. Uh, I know everybody has, I, I was thinking about it, what I was going to say today with Nate, with uh, Mason, and everybody has something that carries them back to their childhood. And I remember one of the first hunts that I ever went on, uh, I was excited and probably seven or eight years old out there with my uncle and the dogs were just just coon dogs it wasn't all that good they'd they'd tree about anything but they caught a and dogs coming back in smelling like a skunk <laughs> so today uh, and probably everybody if they think about it would have something that carries them back to their childhood. It might be a song. It might be the taste of a hamburger. It, it might be something like that. But the one thing, when people, when I smell a skunk on the side of the road, the skunk's been run over. It carries me back to when I was about eight years old out there hunting with my uncle that's, that's gone now. But, uh, so when people say, oh, I hate the smell of a skunk, that's, and I know it's weird probably, but a skunk is one of the 
one of my fondest smells <laughs> is smelling a skunk. I'm just glad that they don't, you don't smell of that regular, but it carries me back to when I was eight years old and hunting with my uncle. And, and when I was little like that, I didn't hunt a, a lot with him, but he's the one that introduced it to me. And, and I probably, the first coon dog that actually was mine, I probably was 13 or 14 years old. And some guys here locally that coon hunted, uh, they didn't have many places to hunt and I had good places that I could hunt. And I don't know whether they liked me or they liked the places that I could carry them to coon hunt. And they would come by and pick me and my dog up, and I would, uh, they'd carry me hunting. And uh, that was kind of the start of my hunting. And I, and I was fortunate. Really, the first real coon dog that I had was uh, an exceptional dog that was out of a, Old world's champion, I thought it was nothing like it. The dog was out of a world's champion named Rob's Danny Boy. I don't know if anybody, I'm sure some of the listeners would remember that dog, but uh, she was out of Rob's Danny Boy. And I remember I was on a hunt one night, and I thought that dog, I guess I hunted her so much that I knew every move that she made, and I could, I knew when she was going to tree before she ever made the first bark, I just knew how she ran a track and I knew when she was fixing a tree and she was very, very accurate. And uh, I was on a hunt one night and the dogs were, the man guided us that night and he turned her just loose down a little dry ditch. And they went down there and stru struck, got to barking and three of the dogs came back. And my dog was the only one got in there a little bit deeper and was running a track, you know. And, and the man that was guiding us, his son said, will your dog run a deer? And I said, no, sir. I said, she, she won't run a deer. And he said, well, said, I feel like it, you're wrong there. Said, she's running a deer. And I said, no. No, sir. I said, I don't think so. I said, she don't run deer. He said, well, he said, I know she's not running a coon because he said, the reason I brought you here was because it ain't no coons here. <laughs> said, it's just not a coon. And I said, mister, I said, she's, she's running a coon. I said, I don't want to sound smart or anything, but I said, that truck that I'm driving, now I wasn't but 17 years old. I said, that truck I'm driving, I said, I own that truck. And I said, if you own your truck, I said, I'm going to make you a bet. I said, she's going to tree this cone. And I said, if you willing, if you're a betting man, I said, I won't bet you my pickup truck against your pickup truck. And I said, if she don't tree that cone, I said, I'll give you my pickup. But I said, if she trees that cone, I said, I'm going to take your pickup truck. And he said, you think a lot of that dog, don't you? And I said, yes, sir, I think a lot of her. And he said, well, we'll see. <laughs> Just a few minutes, she sat down and treed. So we walked in there to that tree. And I'm going into the tree, and I shine it, and it's about a 10-inch sweet gum. And I said to myself, 
go into that tray, I said, if you ever told a lie, I said, don't let it be this time that you told a lie. <laughs> and it was just a just a little old spindly tree. And I said, surely you got a cone here. And we shined up there, and she had that cone. And that, that man told me, said, you know, he said, we hunted in this same spot. And he said, we hadn't treated a cone in here in six months. Said, you really got something there. So <laughs> that, that made me feel good. But had he had taken me up on the on the truck deal, I guess I'd have had to lived up to my end up. But to uh, to my for me, he he didn't accept the off, didn't accept the bet. He wouldn't go along. With it, but, oh, he better be glad he didn't. Oh yeah, but that was some of my early days and you know over the over the years uh most of the people that i was involved in with coon hunting are dead and gone and those i guess that's one thing that with me we involved here locally we've got a club and i've tried to help promote that club because it's so many young people that don't have the opportunity to go coon hunting or, or that won't anybody take up any time with them. And, you know, my schedule has always been such that I've never been able to spend a lot of time with young folks carrying them hunting with me because my hunting time would be limited and always be on a spur of the moment deal. So it wasn't any real planning so I've never been involved really with youth other than just helping a few of them, providing them dogs and helping them make it to these hunts. But as far as having youth hunting with me, I never had that. But what I wanted to do was to do what had been provided to me with some of these old timers that kept a club up and kept it running and, and had them a clubhouse and provided them places that uh, you could carry several casts of hunters out and hunt uh, without getting in a mess, you know, and, and have them feeling comfortable that they wasn't going to get in trouble trespassing and things like that. But uh, we've got a local club here, and I've been involved with two or three different ones and uh, had a lot of good people pretty much put on the hunts and run the hunts, but I was the one in the background uh, providing the places. And basically, it's always a trouble with a club of collecting the dues. The ones that I've ever been involved in, we just don't have any dues. Just come and enjoy the hunting and the paying the power bill. I'll make sure the lights stay cut on but and provide the place. But, you know, over the years, we've had... In this area, we had a lot of older hunters that loved it. I remember back in the day of the UKC hunts, uh, you'd start early Saturday morning getting prepared for the hunt, and it'd be an all-day event. You don't have that much anymore, but uh, that was what I enjoyed in fooling with those older, older guys that that put on those hunts and took up time with me, you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, pretty much that's what got me into coon hunting as an uncle and and going to a local club and uh, had two or three different guys that loved uh, maybe not me but they liked the places that I could provide <laughs> them to go coon hunting on. Right. So that's uh, that's kind of my background in in coon hunting. You've but, owned you've owned a few stud dogs throughout the years too, haven't you? Yeah, we uh, probably one of the dogs that was the most uh, recognized dog we owned, Cary Creek Clint. And he was a really nice dog, uh, produced a lot of nice dogs. He was a, a big dog. I, he was, uh, he was in the, within a quarter of an inch being so tall that he'd be out of the breed standards in, a, in the Walker breed. I don't know what the height is, but if you ever, he was a, a show champion, but if you ever put him on the bench, the judge immediately would reach and grab his tape, and he was a quarter of an inch, whatever the maximum. I don't know what that maximum is, but in the Walker breed, it's a breed standard, and it's a maximum height. He measured up to within a quarter of an inch of that maximum height. He was... Uh, he was so long that when you put him in a dog box and you took him out, if you went somewhere and got him out of that dog box, he'd just keep coming out of the box. <laughs> he was such a big hound, but uh, he was a, a really big dog. Uh, funny story, I've got, uh, I've got three kids. I've got two girls and two boys. Really, none of my none of my boys really care anything about coon hunting or anything, but uh, the youngest one, that dog, Clint, stayed in the backyard and stayed there in a kennel there in the backyard and, and the housekeeper, the, the lady that would keep my little boy, would carry him out there and he'd walk that, he'd walk that dog and I had bought him a little leash and he put it on the dog, and the dog was just a, he's just a big pet is all he was, but he'd lead him around out there. So he'd go hunting with me when he was little, and I had a guy named uh, Ray Burdett. His name was Bubba, and Bubba would go with me, and he, my son's name is Tillman Dudley, but he'd keep Tillman, and they'd sit in the truck, and I'd go out there to Clint. And Clint had a bad habit. He was a, he had the prettiest mouth you ever wanted to hear on a dog. But occasionally he was going to tree a possum. It, but you never could get to him when he had that possum. But the dog treed out there a little bit. Uh, and I walked out there and Tillman was with me. And he Tillman was probably four years old. And Bubba was out there in the truck. And Clint treed maybe a hundred yards off the road, and so I went out there to get him off the tree, and I know he had treed a possum because he hushed before I got to him and he left. So Bubba hollered out there and he said, What do you do? And I said, Well, I guess he treed another damn possum. 
So I got in the truck and we went on and hunted everything. And uh, that next, that next night, I was there at the house and my wife asked me, she told me, she said, you're gonna have to be careful with talking around Tillman and talking ugly around him. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, Sue came in this morning and saw your hunting clothes and Tillman's little overalls and knew he had went hunting and said, she asked him, said, Tillman, did you go hunting with your daddy? And he said, yeah, I went. And she said, what old Clint do? He said, he treat another damn possum. <laughs> so I told her, I said, I'm re- I, I said, you're right. I said, I'm really going to have to watch what I say around him. So he loved thinking about the dog, you know. So later on that night, he had a big old stuffed dog, and he had that little leash. He had that little leash on that stuffed dog, and he was leading the dog around there. Uh, I was watching him leading the dog around. My... We, my wife was sitting in there in the den with us, and Tillman reared back and snatched back on that dog. He had the little stuffed dog in front of him. He snatched back on him, and he told that stuffed dog, he said, get your damn ass behind me, dog. <laughs> so she said, that's it. She said, no more. No more hunting with you. Said he cannot go. Said you can't watch what you say. So in the case of him, I don't know if that stopped his coon hunting. I was a bad influence of what I was on him, but uh, that was that was my experience with trying to uh, teach a little young boy how to handle a dog there. But Clint was as as good a hound and a and a heck of a reproducer. The gun smoke dog was out of Clint and uh How was he bred? Uh he went back to Daryl is here with us. What he he, he well what's the Frank Giddings dog? What was Sackett? it? Sackett? Sackett Jr. Okay. Yeah, he was out of he was directly out of Sackett Jr. I bought the dog from uh Jim McConnell up in North Carolina and uh a good friend of mine, he's out of coon hunting now, but his name is Todd Norfleet. He lives up in Indiana. He's the one that found Clint. And uh, and in fact, after we started making a stud dog out of him, I didn't have time to fool with it. And, and he was such a good bred dog. Clint stayed up there with uh, Todd until he passed away. Till Clint passed away, and uh, he was the one that actually handled the breeding. That stud dog business, you got to really have the time, and you got to be dedicated, uh, because when when somebody's ready for their their dog is ready to be bred, it don't make any difference. Most of the time, you're dealing with working people anyway, so. Their schedule is all night coon hunting, so they think your schedule is all night in the stud business. Mm-hmm. So that never really worked well with me, but Todd handled that, and I think we were probably, at the time, pretty successful with it. He, up until, I don't know, 
I haven't looked in the magazine for years. He stayed in the top 10 of the uh, stud dogs in UKC. I don't know if he's still in the top 10, but for, for a lot of years, he was in the top 10 of the stud dogs. He may be out of it now, but uh, he was a heck of a nice dog and a put big miles on dogs and pretty much had the right confirmation on his puppies and things. So uh, another stud dog that we had was a dog called Maker's Mark. And uh, Mark was a heck of a coon dog, but and he was very, very accurate. But uh, he was really a probably a better coon dog than he was a stud dog. I mean, he was, when people today talk about that they want a dog that's deep and lonely, this dog was very deep and very lonely. He <laughs> never would be ever treated with, with another dog. In fact, uh, Daryl's uncle, a man by the name of Bo Thrift, uh, hunted dogs for me. For a lot of years, Bo and I are good close friends, and he loved to coon hunt. And uh, I always kept Bo a good dog, and Bo was a good handler. He was really a good dog man. He trained some dogs for himself, and and trained some dogs for me. But uh, he was he hunted Mark, and uh, for some of the listeners, they probably will remember Bo out in these hunts handling mark and i've i've heard about in one particular hunt and i don't remember where he was but mark had got out blown out of the country and that was back at the time that you had these tracking units with the the beep beep tracking units and i don't think they'd let you use them until time out but they called time out and bo had got mixed up with another cast three or four miles from where he from where they uh from where they had turned to loose and some of them said on that other cast said we were out there and said we heard a dog coming through there running and said uh we looked up and said here comes Bo right in behind him trying <laughs> to catch him in the timeout but he was several Two or three miles from wherever they had turned out, but and yeah, that was back at the time that they used to have the world hunts in Aurora. We always Terry Nix is a, another one that uh, hunted dogs for me, and every year for the world hunt, we'd all gather up there in Aurora. We'd we'd rent a house there and we'd stay all week, and. Uh, we carry several dogs. I actually hunt back in those days. Would hunt in the in the world hunt myself, and the three of us pretty much would uh, would stay up there during that week trying to get dogs in the world hunt. But uh, uh, Terry was a excellent hunt for him. If you didn't, if you gave him a dog that wouldn't make mistakes. Terry was smart enough and a good enough handler that if he ever got a hold of him some plus points, he'd keep them. He'd keep them plus points. He he would uh, he'd he'd just keep his mouth shut and he'd stay out of trouble. And he was smart enough not to 
not to give up his points. If if Terry had had a good dog, Terry pretty much was going to be right in the top tops of the handlers. He sure would would be. Yep. But I think Terry is a neighbor of yours, any Mason. Well, he used to be. I live up toward uh, Memphis, Tennessee now, but uh, yeah. I grew up pretty close to him. I, yeah. I used to hunt with him quite a yeah. bit. But uh, we we used to have a lot of fun together, world hunt time, and we'd always be getting prepared. We'd be hunting dogs, getting them ready for the world hunt. Uh, we I don't, to my knowledge, about the closest thing that we ever had of a dog winning the world hunt was uh, was probably Lane Leverett with Frank here three or four years ago, maybe four years ago. Yep. Uh, we we won third place in that, but uh, I drew I drew Lane and uh, Frank that Monday night knocked him out and he i think he doubled up tuesday night yeah and uh got in the finals yeah yeah i was i was up there with him when he was hunting and lane was leading the cast right up to the close to the end of the hunt there in bank treed and treed a cone and at the end of the hunt uh, Frank was treed and Lane had him treed in and if they could find the coon there uh, Frank would have been the winner and when Lane said they got to the tree it was a huge pine tree and in uh, in Illinois there's very few pine trees but this was the probably the one and only pine tree over there on what's the name of the lake over there, Samdale Lake. Mm -hmm. That's where they carried the final cast. And uh, Lane said it was just a monster pine and said it wasn't any way to find a coon if it would have been a coon unless a coon looked at you. So I'm going to say he had the coon, but they never saw him. But that's the difference. You know, and the people... In these hunts, that's the difference. It might be the difference of whether your dog turns right or goes left. And uh, today, with hounds, once you get to the finals of pretty much any hunt, uh, all the dogs, it's its not any particular one that is, uh, that is, dominates, it's to, Whichever one gets the break. Best break, yep. Yeah, but pretty much, you know, and that's something that I want to touch on. People ask me, I've been, I've been involved with coon hunting probably now for over 50 years. But people ask me, said, are dogs better today than they used to be? And I'd have to say that probably as a whole, uh, for the amount that dogs are hunted, they probably are better today than they used to be. I think one of the problems is you don't have the people, the dogs don't get hunted today maybe like they used to get hunted. People don't have time, you know, and they're busy, but, but the ones that are hunted up today, the caliber of dog that we have today is... Uh, is just as good as it's ever been, you know, and 
you know, my, I really don't have a preference with the breed of dogs. I've always pretty much hunted walker dogs. I've had some of every kind, but the ones that we've done the best with in these hunts has pretty much always been walker hounds. And uh, I guess the reason probably 90% of the dogs that I've owned, other people have trained and we love to hunt in the hunts. Daryl guess, you know, hunts dogs for me now. Lane Leverett hunts dogs. But uh, I feel like it's probably better for us if we're going to participate in the hunts. We got so much of a selection of dogs that are already trained out there rather than trying to get a puppy and trying to raise it up. Daryl does, he does train some dogs, but we have a pretty good luck of finding a really top-notch dog. If we're going to run up down the road, I want it to be something that we can compete with. So we're pretty much in the market all the time with a top-notch dog. The dog that we're looking for is something that is in the top two or three percent of the dogs and uh, you know people dogs have gotten expensive but if you really think about it they're not all that expensive for the amount of time that people have to put in it to get a dog to that particular level that we'd be interested in so when you hear about us paying a certain amount for a dog it's all relative uh, to what you're buying. Mm -hmm. You know, pe people that are into bass fishing, they're giving eighty and $90,000 for a bass boat. And I'm not saying I'm fixing to go out there and buy no eighty or $90,000 coon dogs, but coon dogs are, for the amount of time that people have to put into them, to get them to the level that we like to have them at, uh, they're worth more than just a dog that you just go pick up out there. Right. So, you know, I've always, I've always felt like that if a man really had a good dog and he's willing to sell that dog, then he deserves to get paid for his efforts that he's and his time that he's put in to put that dog to that level. And, you know, over the years, I bought a lot of good dogs from a lot of people, and a lot of times those people really didn't want to sell that dog. But they might have they had a need to sell it. And, uh, you know, I want to thank people over the years that would sell a dog because we we bought a lot of good ones that uh, and and, and Daryl's here with us today but uh, my deal has always been that if I get in the market for a dog and I hear my mind made up that that's what I'm going to do I'll check around and talk with multiple people a little bit about the dog but uh, top-notch hounds will sell themselves 
And I've never been big on going and getting a dog and trying it out because. Usually looking for a reason not to buy it. Yeah, well, <laughs> most of the time when we've ever decided we were going to go try one, we don't buy them. Nope. We don't buy them. So we, here recently we bought a dog, and the, and the man was nice enough to uh, offer to take the dog back if we wasn't satisfied. And I told Daryl, I said, no, I said, we're not going to carry the dog back. I said, because. I said, that'll be the very one that you'll be hunting against that you'll say, I had an opportunity to to have that dog. I had that dog. And I said, we're not going to carry her back. She's young and she's got a lot of potential, but what it's got, what it means is Daryl's just got to, to, uh, pull his bootstraps up and go to hunting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Still. you know, and that, I want to thank Daryl because Daryl, Daryl is, is, uh, pretty much the son that never wanted to coon hunt. You know, he loves it. Uh, to tell y'all a little bit about Daryl, uh, I've been knowing him since he was three years old, right here close to the to the our sawmill here at Salem. There was a truck stop, and Daryl's daddy got killed in a car accident when Daryl was about eighteen months old. So his mama raised him and uh, a brother and a sister, and she. They're not, they're really proud people, his mother and her family. In fact, both Rift, the, the one that I told you about coon hunting for me, is Daryl's mama's sister. Uh, Daryl's mama and Bo are brother and sister. And so that's kind of what got Daryl into coon hunting. But Daryl was a little boy, probably three or four years old. And the people that run a truck stop in a cafe close by our sawmill had a little old boy about his age and his mother is a barber and a beautician and so she had to work every day and back in those days uh, I don't know how well the play schools were or the daycares probably wasn't a lot of daycares you either stayed with your grandmother or somebody came and kept you at home but Daryl's daycare was a truck stop and for some of the people that know Daryl know Daryl is a real. It all makes r- sense now. Yeah, yeah, he's a real <laughs> pool shooter. You know he, but in this old truck stop, it was a truck stop, and a restaurant, and it had a couple of pool tables in the back, and uh, a beer joint is kind of what it was at night. But it was a truck stop and a restaurant during the day. And Daryl would stay in there with that little old boy. Well, I'd come in there working. I'm, what am I, about 19, 18, 19 years older than you. So he'd have been four years old, and I'd have been 23 years old. And I would come in there and eat lunch. And he had a milk carton, a milk crate, that he would drag around that pool table and get up there and shoot pool. And uh, 
he'd come back there where we were eating. It'd be a group of us in there eating, you know, people that worked there at the mill at lunch. And he'd come back there and he'd worry us. Every time I was in there, he'd run up to me and he'd say, you want to shoot a game of pool? At four or five years old, he was a pool shark in that in that pool hall. But that that tells you how long he goes back with me now. As far as coon hunting, uh, he was Bo's nephew, and so anytime they had about a halfway cull dog, they would uh, Darrell would wind up with the dog, and and he would hunt it. And when the dog got to where it was doing good, Bo would come back and get Daryl's <laughs> dog back from him. But I tell you, he had another friend, a boy by the name of Perry Pruitt, that uh, they both loved to coon hunt. And I don't know why Bo and them didn't get them some wheat lights, you know, some lights. But they thought so much of coon hunting, they had a two-cell flashlight and they got a car battery, a 12-volt car battery, and put it in a book bag. They'd leave out walking over here, uh, not not far from the sawmill where they lived. They'd leave out walking with a 12-volt car battery and a spotlight so they could shine the tree if the dog ever got treed. They'd drag that book bag. They might walk three or four miles that night <laughs> with a daggum book bag and a car battery so that tells you about a little bit about daryl and his dedication to coon hunting uh you know everybody that knows daryl knows daryl is uh not only is he a pool shooter but you know he can pretty much stand his ground anywhere that he is you know and and uh I've always enjoyed fooling with him in these hunts because uh, he keeps the excitement up. Uh, he always, he's about like a, a Harvard lawyer when it comes. He, he actually works for me. I'm in several businesses and he runs two or three of those businesses for me. But when he first started coon hunting, he and I coon hunt, we were traveling to a hunt and it was a word that I was trying to spell and I I said how do you spell that that word I was I, I said how do you spell that and Daryl just rattled it off you know that spelling of that word and I said daggum I said you you're pretty good with that I said I thought of a word, you know, that you probably couldn't spell, and I asked him again what that, how to spell that word, and he rattled it right off. And I said, how'd you learn how to spell like that? And he said, he said, when I was in the eighth grade, I think it was, he said, I won the state spelling bee contest. And I said, you ain't won no state spelling bee contest. And he said, oh, yeah, I did. And so... He had his telephone, dialed his mama up, and he said, Mama, when she got on the phone, he had on the speakerphone, he said, Mama, said, tell Bob what I did 
when I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> God <laughs> So I know that he has had to prove himself to a lot of people because she knew exactly what I was, what he was talking about when he asked her that. But to carry that a little bit further, he and I went walked in a store. Uh, for several years, we, I was in the timber business and bought timber, and we had uh, probably up, I think at one time we had 12 contract loggers that logged for us, and Daryl pretty much handled those loggers and buying timber, and he learned how to cruise timber and bought a lot of timber, but he and I walked in a little country store, and a lady come walking out of the store, and he was right there close to the community where Daryl went to school. And the lady came out, and she said, Big spelling big winner. So I and when he, we left out, I said, Daryl spoke to her, hugged her neck and all, and I said, Who was that lady, Daryl? He said, That was my school teacher when I won the spelling big contest. <laughs> but I've had a lot of fun with Daryl and Lane and a lot of others, you know. Uh, we had one particular man, I want to mention him, with all his family, he's, he's dead and gone, but it was a man by the name of Gary Clanton. And Gary was just a really, really good guy. He loved to coon hunt. He had some good dogs, and he, he was the man that could take a dog from a puppy and train the dog to, uh, yeah, to, to become a really good coon dog. Gary was a exceptional person, a really close friend of mine. I remember one time we were up at the World Hunt in Aurora, and uh, I hunted hunted a dog, and my dog that I was hunting got hurt or it wasn't really looking good. And another one of the dogs I had left it at home, and uh, Daryl was with me. He said, "Call Gary." He said. He's not doing anything. He said, he'll bring him up here to you. And I said, you think he would? And he said, yeah, if you call him, said, he'll come. said, he probably would like it. And I called Gary. I said, Gary, I, I need such and such dog up here. He said, all right. said, I'll be on my way. He wouldn't drive, but how fast did he drive there? Third, about 45, 50, 50, 55 on the interstate. But he could drive all night, and he... Uh, he kept brought that dog up there to me in Aurora. I think that's where we were with him. But uh, Gary Clanton was a heck of a, a good friend of mine. And always oh, so many people. I, I heard your podcast the other day with uh, Keith Dean. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so good. Uh, Keith, he knew all the names of the dogs. We live right here within, I don't know, 50 50 or 60 miles from Keith Dean and Philip Strickland and Temple Coley and that bunch. Uh, White Wright, he lives close to us. And over the years, competition, and I'm all, we all about the same age. In fact, I think Keith, he, he probably will correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the very first dogs that Keith ever owned, his daddy bought him from me. The dog's name was Wright's Mighty Ike. And the dog was a really a good, good dog. And what made me sell that dog was uh, I was hunting him one night, and 
he got off in a big beaver pond and he got foot long and he was locating on that log and he would walk to one end of the log and he would locate. He'd turn around and walk to the other end and, and locate. Well, I sat there and I listened to that for two or three hours. And I'd walk to the edge of that pond, that beaver pond, and holler for him. And finally, I just decided, I said, he is no way he's coming. So I got in that beaver pond and swam out there to that dog and pulled him down off of that log out in the middle of it. And when I got, when I finally got to the bank, the whole time I was swimming back with him, I said, this is my last trip to ever <laughs> get you. And he was an ex. He's an excellent dog. Keith, I remember him to this day. But uh, but that right there did me in with Wright's Mighty Ike, having to swim to him in that cold beaver pond. But uh, we've had some exceptional dogs. One, one particular dog that we had um, was we had a dog by the name of Tornado. He was directly out of one of Timothy Ball's dogs. And Tornado was... He was a heck of a, we were able to buy him. Timothy Ball was a big stud dog owner, and Tornado would have been a stud dog, but he was sterile. And, you know, in our case, we didn't care anything about raising any puppies or anything, but uh, had he had not been like that, we probably would have never got the opportunity to have him hunt him, but he was a heck of a dog. Uh, we sold a dog. We owned a, a dog by the name of, uh, what was it? The dog we sold to Heath. Eli Stone? Yeah, Eli Stone. And I actually hunted him myself. But Eli was a dog that you really had to keep hunted up for him to be accurate. And I just, I liked the dog. He was such a classy dog. I liked to hunt him myself. And I wouldn't let these boys get him and hunt him, so I probably set him back by not hunting him like I should. And uh, we wound up and sold him to uh, to who was it, Daryl? Uh, Heath Johnson. Heath Johnson. Doug Havener. And Doug Havener. Yeah. And and Doug every once in a while, Doug today when he sees me, he'll say, "When you get a dog that's pretty good." And you want to get rid of get rid of one? Said, uh, give us a call. We'd be interested in them. <laughs> so, uh, we've had some good hounds, and we've let some good hounds get away from us that other people have gone. And I've never have. I never have been jealous or, or had any ill feelings with somebody. I, I'd rather sell a dog or give a dog away and somebody do well with it then just let them stand up in the pen and not not take them to town yeah uh, you told a story out there in the porch a while ago it tickled me uh about the blind coon hunter you tell us about it oh yeah i'll tell that a little bit it was a it was a guy uh lived up over in georgia up around west point georgia up there, it's uh, West Point Lake is a big reservoir up there that uh, is 100,000 acres or something underwater. But uh, 
Here's a guy by the name, I can't think of his last name, but his first name was Steve. He was a real coon hunter. He loved it. The, I mean, he couldn't see. And when I, when I say this, he's the only blind man that I know that really coon hunted, and he was a coon hunter. He had a little mule. He probably had three or 4,000 acres of public land in front of his house. And he had a little mule that was trained that would go to the dog when the dog got treed. And uh, Steve would get on that public land. He turned that dog loose from his house, and the dog knew where he was going hunting. So Steve, he'd get treed down there on that lake. And Steve would ride that little old mule around to, to get to him. And that was back in the day that you had the... Uh, beep beep collars and he'd keep a beep beep collar on his on his mule and so when he would go in there to get his dog off the tree I know he didn't shine the tree because he couldn't see to shine the tree but he'd get his dog and then he would find his way back to the mule with his tracking system that's how he cooned on him but I was on a hunt uh my girlfriend's name is Rhonda, 18 years, but early on in the, our relationship, she'd go, she loved to go to these hunts with me, and she'd actually go out there. She hunted with me, and she'd go to these hunts, and she could outwalk the men and everything. She loved it. She never handled a dog or anything, but she actually loved going to the hunts. And this particular hunt, it was a UKC hunt, we drew out with Steve. Steve was handling the dog on this UKC hunt. And so he had a little, he had a hoe that he used for his walking cane to feel his way around. And I guess the reason he had that hoe is to where if he needed to grab a hold of something, if he got in a bad place, he could pull himself out with the end of that hoe, you know, put it in the ground. But we were walking along there and we got to a ditch and I was walking along in front of the cast, was walking along and Rhonda kind of felt sorry for Steve, you know, being blind out there coon hunting, walking to a tree and his dog was in there treed. We hadn't treed not, not a single coon that night and his dog was by itself over there treed and we got to a little ditch and we all stepped around the ditch, didn't think nothing about it. And I turned around and looked. Rhonda had stepped around the ditch, but Steve went off in the ditch. <laughs> so when we got over there, when it got Steve, he got up out of the ditch and got over there. I asked her, I said, I noticed you didn't say anything to Steve when we got to that ditch a while ago. And she said, well, said, I didn't want to, hurt his feelings and I said I said I believe that he'd have rather had his feelings hurt than his neck broke I said you should have told him it was a ditch there she said well I'm sorry that I didn't but when we got over there to Steve's tree I got over there and I shined his tree and sure enough Steve had to Steve's dog had to cone and Steve wound up winning that cast so we got back to the clubhouse and Daryl was handling another dog there to hunt. Got back to the clubhouse. Daryl would have minus him. 
well, he might would have, but we got back to the clubhouse and Daryl asked me, he said, did you win your cast? And I said, no. He said, who won? I said, Steve won the hunt. Blind man beat you. And I said, yeah, I said, I rank I'm the only honest coon hunter it is around because I said, yeah, I said, Steve's dog did a good job and Steve won the hunt. But, uh, but they, he is the only only man and he loved it that much and he he actually trained several dogs did you, you remember him Daryl? i never know but he uh temple and uh and keith and and philip will remember uh, steve because steve was a real hunter before before he ever went blind back in the 70s i remember He'd hunted a dog in the stock of dogs that he really bet on was a dog. I don't think I ever had any of them, but the dog's name was Gold Creek Mundo. And he thought that uh, if you went to a hunt, all he could talk about was Mundo dogs. And I don't, I don't think I ever had one of them, but I do remember the dog named Gold Creek Mundo. Hmm. But... Uh, Steve was a heck of a heck of a coon hunter. He's passed away now, but uh, he was he loved it. Anybody that coon hunts, and to my knowledge, he, he he's the only blind coon hunter that has ever been that actually hunted by himself. But he hunted uh, on after he became completely blind. Right, but. Hunting season is here. Make sure your dog stays energized with Joy High Energy 2420. This beef formula is made to meet the nutritional needs of the hardest working dogs at a whopping 505 kcals per cup. Joy High Energy is formulated with omega-3 and 6 fatty acids for healthy skin and a gray coat. Added pumpkin for digestive health and chelated minerals for more energy. So whether they're in the woods, the water, or the field, make sure they have the fuel for anything that comes their way. To learn more about Joy High Energy 2420 or to find a dealer near you, visit joydogfood.com or call us at 800-245-4125. Well, out of all them dogs throughout the year, if you had to go back and pick one, which one do you think it'd be? We had a dog by the name of J.D.'s Sackett's Harry that uh, I thought for from a competition standpoint that he might be might have been one of the best that we ever had. Uh, he was the type dog that if you had three minutes left to go in a hunt, uh, you didn't walk a hunt out if you were behind and you needed one coon. He could tree a coon in his shorter period of time that I've ever seen. I mean, when we we bought, we actually bought the dog from Keith and and Temple and Philip. But what they had done, White Wright had had a bunch of dogs, and he decided he bought a package deal, and we wound up buying a package deal from them, and. Uh, J.D. Second Harry was one of those dogs, but I think Daryl kept up with it one time, and he told me that just $30 hunts and just little old hunts that he won 
18 straight hunts with him. Wow. Was it 18 there? One 18 straight cast with him. And uh, that's probably, I'm sure it's people that maybe have records. Now, I didn't document that 100%, but. Uh, it was in 2005. August 2005. But he won 18 straight cast with him, and, and that's almost unheard of. But that dog could tree a coon as fast as any dog that I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, but right now, you know, Daryl's got the dogs that he hunts now, this junk dog that he hunts. He's been good to us. Uh, he's he's a similar, similar dog to... Sackett's Harry. I I was talking to Daryl just the other day when he uh, he got qualified in this hunt down here at Ufall for the world hunt. And he told me that uh, they had just a few minutes left to go in the hunt and he cut loose and treed a coon with about a minute left in the hunt. And uh, But that's the type of dog he is. He don't waste any time about getting a coon treed. Yeah. But uh, I'd say pretty much the dogs that we got present day, this junk dog, and then Daryl's got, we've got two or three more today that about as good as we've ever had. Yeah. I liked old time. Yeah, now he was, he and Daryl actually, uh, we bought the dog as a young dog, and then Daryl took him, he, would, he could tree a coon, but... Uh, Daryl took him and made a real dog out of him. But uh, I think Daryl had, this junk dog is kind of naturally independent. I think Daryl made time an independent dog because uh, he had him about like a remote control on him when he pleasure hunted him. I think he hunted him uh, with the control button on him all the time <laughs> because when he get to a road, he wouldn't cross that road. You know, no woods roads, he'd do that. But if he got to a pay road or something, he wasn't going to cross a pay road. He's going to turn around and go back another direction. But Daryl had done, trained him to that point. So uh, where some dogs are naturally independent, he was independent from a training, training independent is what he was. But yeah. we had a dog, uh, I don't know, Mason, you probably wasn't even in coon hunting then, but uh, we had a, a dog, a female named Sandy. And how we came about her, she was, she went back to Buck Creek Buck, didn't she, Daryl? Mm, but she was off of Buck Creek Buck, but Daryl hunted and it was a, wasn't it a lady that was handling the dog when we first saw her the first time? When he saw her the first time. And he called me and he said, uh, I didn't win. And I said, well, who won? He told me this lady. Wasn't the lady named Martha or somebody? Yes, I was. But anyway, he told me, he said, whoever this lady was out of Florida. And he said, uh, she was hunting a little female. And he said, she treed five or six coons on us tonight. And I, I told him, I said, 
he said she's the best fa Darryl said she's the best female that I believe I've ever been in the woods with and I said well can she be bought and he said I'm already trying to buy her he <laughs> said I'm already trying to buy her and I I told him I said well see if you can get her bought so the man priced her and before we could get her bought from him he went up on the price and said, I really don't want to sell her. But we wound up and got her bought anyway. And we kept her, what, five or six years? Five years. About five years. And she was excellent. Really, really good dog. And, you know, anybody that cone hunts and fools with cone dogs, they always have a measuring stick. And that female, from a female standpoint, she became my measuring stick so we're all always looking for sandy right now you know and if we ever ran across the dog in the hunts that compared to her uh somebody would probably get them a good payday if they <laughs> if they let us talk with them long enough but uh so anybody listening yeah, you got a sandy <laughs> we still looking for sandy out there so if anybody listening that's got what they think might measure up to old Sandy, we uh, we might can't afford her, but we'll see if we can gather up some credit somewhere and and and, and buy her from you. But uh, you know we uh, we've had some had a lot of fun with the coon hunting. I've met a lot of people. I tell you what, I've always enjoyed with the coon hunting is in my business life. I I have to, uh, you know, I, I'm in business and I have to be a businessman, so everything that I do in that is strictly business. And the coon hunting has always been my therapy and my avenue to put the business aside and go out and enjoy the coon hunting. And when I go to the hunt, Back in the day that I used to hunt in the hunts, you know, I wasn't no business man. I was just a coon hunter. And that's what I enjoyed about it is uh, I, could just, I could just be one of the coon hunters out there. And I enjoyed that because it, it provided me uh, a getaway from the rat race of being in business and uh, allowed me to enjoy something to where didn't anybody know me, you know, I was just another coon hunter. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed enjoyed that to be able to do it. Uh, I never have won any real big hunts. I, I don't even know what my lifetime, You have you got an idea what my lifetime earnings would be? $12,000, but I did it mostly in $30 hunts, but, but uh, in fact, every once in a while now, I'll have to get out there and retrain Daryl on the hunts. <laughs> now, he he got the question part of it down pat, but sometimes knowing the dog, I might be as well as him at handling a dog, but but I, I can't present the question quite like he can present it <laughs> if we ever got in a question deal. You know, and that's another thing. I've never heard anybody on one of these these uh, podcasts talk about it, but you know, 
sometimes now I hear people say, you know, I, I don't like hunting in these hunts because it'd be some arguing involved in it or somebody getting upset. But if you really think about it, at the level that we hunt in, it's no different than a professional athlete. And I, I love sports. I love to watch football. And those opposing teams, when they're playing that football game, they are dead after one another. If they want to be winners and they're professionals, they are dead after it. But then when you see the football game, if you watch it on TV, when you see the game over with, the same two guys that went head-to-head and beat each other's brains out that whole football game are out there hugging one another, shaking each other's hands. Well, that's the way coon hunting is similar to that. They're professionals in the level that we play in. And so when somebody said, oh, they were out there arguing, I don't think two things about that. Because if you're at that level and you're not willing for, if it don't mean enough that you uh, stand up for what you think's right, then you don't need to be out there. So, you know, that's that's the reason why, in my case, uh, most of the time somebody handling to me, for me, can handle themselves. They're not going to get run over because I don't want them to get run over because that's the sport and the nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. If it was, you know, a coon hunt was a Sunday school class, uh, you know, I don't expect it to be. I go to Sunday school to go to Sunday school, but if I go out there coon hunting, competing, it don't bother me that a man gets upset mm-hmm. because that's just part of it. And when the hunt's over with, I'm, I'm just as happy for the winner if I win or if they win. I'm just as happy for someone else to win as I win. And and so, you know, that's something I, I'm, I'm not even going to mention the name, but I was up there at the World Hunt one time and a a man told me, he said, you know, we have bred the dominance out of coon dogs. He said, if it's anything that we've done to coon dogs, he said, we've kind of made inferior dogs by breeding the dominance out of them. He said, just like in the breeding of bulls, he said, the biggest bull gets the most calves. He said the turkeys. He said the biggest turkey and the baddest turkey is the is the is the one that gets the most hens. But he said what we've done. He said people have put so much emphasis on dogs that uh, are not dominant that they worry about a dog around a tree. Now I'm not one for no dog to be no just a down, right out, uh, mean dog that looks to go jump on a dog. But if a dog's in their tree and he's made that tree and another dog comes in there and wants to put him off that tree, I expect mine to stay, not to be leaving trees. 
And that's what I think this guy was talking about is we bred the dominant side of dogs, and we have in some, some of the breeds now. I think maybe the breed now, uh, Walker breed especially, you got some dogs that are more dominant like that, but uh, but I think that that's got to be in a coon dog just like it's got to be in an athlete that you've got to have dominant dogs. And all my years in the hunts, you know, if dogs can't adjust, you know, dogs have got to adjust because when a coon climbs a tree, he leaves a scent on that particular tree. The tree might be six foot around, but he left that scent on that tree. Well, when that dog, first dog that trees it, is on that scent, he don't expect to be pushed on the other side of that tree. And so I think that that needs to be allowed in dogs for a dog to I always call it adjusting. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm not one for to have no dog that's out there killing another dog, but I'm for one to uh, stand his ground out there on a tree and, and, and leave that and let these dogs adjust in, in a hunt like that. This day and time, though, Dogs are so independent that when you turn a loose uh, in a hunt, most of the time you're going to walk in three or four different directions. So it's very seldom that dogs are together now, especially in some of these money hunts and things like that. Dogs are so independent, they're not together anyway. Right. But, uh, you know, my... We've had so many dogs that I can't even remember. Like I said a while ago, I listened to Keith's uh, podcast, and he did such a good job, but I think he must have had him some notes or had a book or something he was going by, and that's something that I never, never really did is keep up with the dogs that we own, but it's a, it's a big list of them. I don't know how many that have been registered in my name, but it's it's a lot of them, and all of them been pretty pretty good dogs. Yeah. So. Spell, spelling bee champ. He, uh, he remembers all of it. Who is that? I said spelling bee champ. He remembers all of <laughs> oh, it. Oh yeah, spelling bee one. <laughs> big spelling bee one. I can keep up with it now. Brandy told me the other day. She did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, we gonna continue on with the competition hunts here lately Daryl's been pretty successful he got in the final four down there to Michael Moody memorial hunt and that's another thing is uh, anybody that knew Michael Moody he and I were close friends I've been knowing Michael since he was a you know in his 20s coon hunting We've been, he's been right here and stayed right here in this house where we're having this podcast. He stayed right here and hunted here, and he and I were real close friends. Uh, and But uh, I bought several dogs over the years from Michael. He's just a, a good, good person, and he was, uh, you know, a really asset to the coon hunting. It's a shame that he... His life was such short-lived because 
he had just got to the point that he was in business, you know, for himself, and he had gotten to the point to where he was starting to be able to take a little time off and enjoy coon hunting, and that's what he loved to do. But uh, he 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 left us, and it's a big hole, you know. I I I didn't talk with Michael every day, but I talked with him every three or four months. He and I would chat and talk, but uh, I. You know, even today I miss him, and for Daryl to be able to <coughs> be able to get in his hunt and uh, in the final four, only thing I hate that I wasn't able to go over there and and uh, be there with Daryl when he won that hunt or won, you know, got in the finals. They said it was storming, and uh, he didn't call me until after they decided that they would split. <laughs> Most of the time, for years, I got to go to so few hunts that if I actually won, and it was a Friday or Saturday night hunt in these little local hunts, I'd make them go. They'd call me, take them back ball. <laughs> so I was always the one, and I didn't really care whether I won or not. I just... I was getting in my hunting, and I still felt like I could go another two or three hours hunting. But uh, if Darren would have called me that night, I might would have went along with him to split it. But I told him later, I said, how are you going to ever have a $100,000 winner if you don't hunt for the $100,000? <laughs> I said, how are you going to have a $100,000 winner? But... Uh, I guess it was all right that he split it, and everybody, everybody, came out. The final four came out of that deal, and probably we'd have probably wound up and got fourth place <laughs> if we'd have been the one insisted that we split it. But uh, uh, I still would have loved to have been able to sit here nine so, and you be interviewing us, and Daryl be on one to hundred thousand, not for the money but just for the st sake of saying that we accomplished that. You know, and just like us with the world hunt, you know, for me, it's always been the most prestigious hunt, the world hunt, because it's so many people that are participating in it, trying to, trying to win the world hunt. And it ain't a thing in the world about the money to me. It's just the fact to be able to say, we accomplished that, but uh, it's the title. And Daryl and I, Daryl and I, are gonna keep trying to go to the world hunt, and eventually maybe we'll get lucky enough that I won't win it because my day of competition hunting is over with. I mean, I I've been building a, a sawmill here for the last three years, and so. My coon hunting has been very, very limited. I really had just might as well say I haven't even been, but I can live the coon hunting through Daryl's legs and him telling me the outcome of it. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story, which I probably shouldn't even tell it, and some of y'all out there listening to it are gonna gonna know the story that I'm telling, but one night, Darrell, I think, was hunting somewhere over in Mississippi, Louisiana or Mississippi, and 
And uh, the man that had guided them fields out there where they were hunting. And they, well, Darrell says it's, it was gumbo fields, but I think it was rice fields is what it was. But Darrell was hunting. It was a truck hunt is what it was. And he called me and about 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that, and he was on the, in this truck hunt. They had called time out, and they had an hour to get the dogs up. And Darrell took off, you know, just like everybody does in a timeout to gather his dog. And so he was able to get in uh, a gate somewhere to get back in there where his dog, otherwise he couldn't have got back in time. But when he got back to the road, he didn't go in the same way that he went in, didn't come out. But he got to a gate, and the gate had been open. But when he got to the gate, it wasn't but maybe 100 yards from where the other cast members were. The gate was locked. And he called me and he said, hey, he said, I'm over here. And he said, I've got about four minutes to get to the cast. And said, they're about 100 yards down the road. And he said, the gate that I, where I came back out was open when, when I went in there. He said, now it's locked. And he said, I can't get out of it. I said, well, how big a gate is it? And he said, he said, I done asked the guy to come and unlock the gate for me. And he told me that I'd have to come back out the way I went in. He said, I wasn't coming out that gate. And I said, well, just how large a gate is it? <laughs> I said, can you, can you go through the gate? And he said, yeah, I guess I could. He had a Dodge Power Wagon is what he was driving at the time. <laughs> And I said, well, I said, just turn around and just back over the gate. I said, if you got to get out there, just back over it. And I said, then we'll deal with the gate after you get through it. He said, is that what you want me to do? And I said, yeah. I said, go on and do it. And so I heard the truck rev up, and I heard the damnedest commotion <laughs> you ever heard. And he said, well, I done got through the gate. I said, well, call me and let me know how you did. So I never heard anything outside of it. So the next day, mid-morning, I got a phone call. It was from Jarvis Umphus. He called me. He said, Bob, he said, we got a problem over here. And I said, what's, what's the problem, Jarvis? <laughs> he said, yeah, boy. It went out there on a cast and said he decided that he had to just come through this gate and said he just run over the gate and come on out of it. I said, well, I said, can the gate be fixed? And he said, yeah, he said, uh, it can. I said, well, what will it cost to fix the gate? He said, Send me $500. So I said, all right. I said, you know something? I said, I said, I can't do anything with that. <laughs> he said, well, we'll take care of it. So I never did own up. I think Jarvis, he's dead and gone now, but I don't think Jarvis really ever knew 
the whole true story <laughs> about that Daryl was on the phone with me. But uh, Steve Campbell was in the truck with me. But they, but they, if the gate was open when he went in there, the man should have showed him the courtesy and unlocked the gate and let him back out of there because they sent him to get his dog. They didn't say, hey, you can't drive back in there. But when he came out, the gate was locked. And I think turnaround is fair play. If a man's going to uh, be like that to lock the gate on you, then I'll be the man that'll run over his gate if he locks it on me. And <laughs> Darrell just followed on through with what I asked him to go on and do. But, uh, I took the cussing and the lecture and all the punishment all that. Yeah, but over the years, uh, Darrell has probably got the blame for some things that he might have made a phone call. I'll, I'll be honest with you, he might have made a phone call before he did it. But uh, I don't know many people that's going to handle him. Well, I, 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 I don't know how many people would handle him. I know that uh, that one time, we now, he has never, ever, Throughout time, he's never threatened me, and uh, I really, I, I really, he thinks of me about like I'm his daddy, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't even start to think about try me no way. I said, don't ever try me because I said I'm gonna give you fair warning. I said I cannot handle you, and I cannot fight with you. But I said, if you ever jump on me, I'm going to shoot you. So I said, I'm going to give you fair warning right now. I said, don't you jump on me. He, he never has done that. And I've never had to shoot him. So we, we, we're in good shape there. But I've enjoyed fooling with Daryl. He, he keeps it. He keeps it lively. And, uh. He he does some things sometimes he can get by with that that uh, I might would have liked to have done it, but I couldn't have gotten by with it. I've judged him all over this country. He, I know how aggravating he can be, but at yeah. the end of the cast, it's oh he'll he'll shake your hand and <laughs> and and he will be just as happy. Now I'm not gonna say he's gonna be just as happy that you beat him, but if you beat him fair and square. You got no problems. He's not gonna. He's not gonna. I've never heard him. You know, some people in a cast, their dog never does any wrong. It's always that uh, somebody else got him or something happened. But Daryl, own up to it. If his dog didn't look good, I'm the first one that hears about it. That uh, that one might not ever get taken back to town again. <laughs> I get to hear about it. So. But but he don't ever make any excuses for his dog. Yeah. Well, I know you're a busy man. I won't take up too more too much more of your time. Yeah. Um, I do got one question. Uh, you've been successful in 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 the business side and and the dog man side. You, you got any advice for some of these younger fellas like myself? Well, you know one of my. One of my pet peeves. I could have quoted that word for word before he said that. That's crazy. Well, one of my pet peeves is that if you tell a man something, if you're going to do something, 
or if you in the morning, if you if you tell the man I'm gonna meet you at eight o'clock, that's the easiest thing in the world to do is to to uh, when when you set a time to meet somebody, meet somebody. When you tell a man you're gonna do so, you can uh, accomplish what you tell a person that you can do. And this day and time, and it, it's with young people, I've got nephews that, that work for me. And at, uh, when five o'clock comes, they're through with business. You know, I was taught in business that if a man called you and it was nine o'clock at night, you answer that telephone. He got a reason in calling you. So this day and time, the texting and all has come into play. My kids, if they want to talk to me, they text because they don't want to have a conversation because they they can write down and they just don't respond if 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 I say something. I'm not big on texting anyway, but uh, this day and time. Telephones and communication is so easy that people need to take advantage of it, but they also need to understand that when someone calls you, you know, now it might be a friend or something that you don't want to fool with, and I can change to your livelihood. You ought to show those people enough respect that. Uh, you'll answer the telephone call. I know growing up, my daddy or my uncle, I might be a call from them that I didn't want to answer, <laughs> but uh, that was like going to the principal's office. Uh, you knew you were going anyway. You might as well answer the call. And and uh, and that's the way it is with business. Now, in business, some things that you'd rather not do and rather not have to do, but... If you think about it in your mind and you say, what is the right thing? If you always take the right approach, you pretty much won't ever go wrong if you think it through. When you when you when people do bad things, they know the difference in, in right and wrong. And if a person will approach everything from what was the right thing that I should have done, uh, nine times out of ten they be they'll have the right answer for it. So that's that's kind of the way that I've always lived my life is uh I'm not gonna say I've always been a saint, but uh I've tried to the way that I wanna be treated. You know, I you know, I know that I've been fortunate I was was fortunate when I was born fortunate. But uh you know, I I try to live my life in a way that that uh, that I got respect for myself and I got respect for others. So, you know, that's just kind of my my life's motto is to is try to try to do the right thing when you put in a situation to where you got to ask yourself whether it's right or wrong. So, but uh, I appreciate you thinking enough I don't know how well I've done today on your podcast but uh, you know I didn't go into a lot of name mentioning but 
you know, over the years I've had a lot of friends and met a lot of people in coon hunting that uh, I think a lot of, and uh, it's really some good people. Coon hunters a lot of times get a bad rap, and uh, but I think as whole as a whole, the people that are truly coon hunters and enjoy the sport, they're good. I probably could go anywhere in the in the country, and if I had a a tire, a flat tire somewhere, if I needed something. I probably know enough coon hunters around that I could pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm somewhere, <laughs> and do you mind coming and helping me? And I've got those kind of friends around. And they're throughout the, you know, the whole, anywhere where it's a coon, I got a friend somewhere that's be glad to help me. And that's kind of the way that I was sport and the way that it needs to main, you know, be maintained. I've I've enjoyed watching y'all's podcast i don't know what you call it but i'm not i'm not real good with the with uh the technology but i just found it recently on youtube y'all have some uh, josh mm-hmm. michaelis mm-hmm. he's on that youtube and and i really enjoy watching that you know because we don't have a lot of Coon hunting is just whatever y'all make it out there for the public. Uh, just basically what y'all got going on, just a few others, is what you can see. My hat's off the thing. It will promote the sport a little bit that uh, people will recognize, hey, these are pretty good people out there coon hunting. And, uh, you know, is something that that I hope will continue on our land base and everything. People are getting less and less hunting land, but uh, I know that with this year with the world hunt, that they had to change the the time of year that we're gonna have it because of some conflict with hunting season with deer hunting and everything. But <clears throat> I think that uh, coon hunting will continue as long as uh, they continued to play the movie where the red fern grows. And and let me tell you, just everybody, I was at a hunt in Albany, Georgia. This has been 30 years ago, down there when they used to have the Winter Classic in Albany. And the cast went out, we stopped at a, a store. And we all had our hunting gear, and we went in there and got got waters and things and there was a guy in there he said what y'all all dressed up for i said well we on a coon hunt he said he and all been in i said yeah he said dan little Ann. Uh, evidently he had seen where the red fern grows because he went to holland for dan and little Ann out there <laughs> in the parking lot but uh you know, it's just something about coon hunting that I've hunted deer and everything else, but but coon hunting, if you ever get addicted to coon hunting, it's no other sport. It's no other type of hunting where you participate with a dog that compares with the coon hunting. It's but it's a it's a sport. It's not for 
it takes a pretty tough person and a pretty different caliber of person to be a coon hunter. It's not an easy sport if you're going to be a dedicated coon hunter. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a lot of, a lot of uh, late nights and a lot of wet boots if you're going to have good dogs and, and, uh, and compete at the level that people are competing at today. Right. Absolutely. But I appreciate you coming down here and taking the time out to talk with me and Daryl. And, and hey, I, I could sit and talk coon hunting all night and talk about the people that have been uh, involved in our sport right here locally. But, uh, and we've had some good ones around here that, that really have been good, good people that I've enjoyed being friends with. But I want to I want to thank you for for coming and continue the good work, and uh, I want to thank Joy Dog Food for uh, helping sponsor some of these hunts, and maybe it'll be good for their business. And uh, I know it's been years since I fed Joy Dog Food, but. Daryl and I were sitting on the porch talking with you a little bit ago, and I know you're a representative of Joy Dog Food now, but I don't know if we're going to... I'm not going to make a statement and say we're going to feed it forever, but we actually go get us a bag of Joy Dog Food. We're going to try some of it and see how well we like it. All right. So any of you listeners out there... uh, Check back with me if you see me at a hunt. We'll tell you. We'll try to be honest about the joy dog food and give you, <laughs> give you some support there. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you letting me stay here at your, uh, at your house. Well, so. you and Daryl are going on a hunt tonight if the weather permits. Yeah. So, is it? Yeah, but you're welcome anytime to, to come back. And, you know, I know Josh... You work closely. I see you and Josh on the podcast. And Josh, I know you're going to listen to this, but I'm still waiting on my coon squall that I put the order in five years ago. <laughs> so you, you, you committed to me you were going to make me a coon squall. I don't know if you still have the ability to do it. No, it'd be I, different. I don't know if you still have the ability, but you still got one coon squall that you got to make. <laughs> it's the one you that I put the order in several years ago, so I'm waiting on that coon squall. Yeah, he's on uh, Big Show Game Calls, and I think uh, it's called Tier 1 now. It's sold, but I'm sure he still knows how to Does make he, one. Did, did he, if you're listening, and I know you will be, I'm making – Making, I'm replacing that order for my coon squad. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Well, I appreciate it. And I will, uh, for you listeners out there, uh, hopefully I've been a little, been a little enjoyment to you listening. And, uh, and I'll see y'all down the road. Thank you for listening. If anybody's got a Sandy, get with him. That's right. I'm in the market. Daryl's always in the market for that good one. So put the price on him and come. We'll see if we can gather it up for you.
All right, that was good. That was, Did too much talking. No, that was real good. <laughs>